Glory to God the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this morning my message is seeking God's glory and what it means. And we're looking at the life of Moses. I have spoken about this passage many times before because it is one of those favourite passages of mine that I, I, I go to, especially as we begin another year, 2023, and as we head into the rest of our lives. So there's a good reason for us to remind ourselves of what, our, what we are to focus on, what, what we should really be about as Christians, as, as a church. And that reason is to live our lives for the glory of God. And I don't refer to just mere platitudes from our lips. Because before us is one of those most extraordinary passages in the whole of the Scriptures. More than a conversation between Moses and God are the requests that Moses makes of God. And one stands above all the others and he builds up. You start here and you build up and you build up and that's the conclusion. So let's first of all begin with the context of this passage. Because it is important. Moses has just come down from Mount Sinai for, for the first time after receiving the law, Ten Commandments in, written on tablets, and he returned to find his people worshipping and celebrating the golden calf. He was so mad, so enraged, that he slammed the, the tablets, the Ten Commandments, and broke them. If Moses was angry, imagine what God felt like, what he was thinking. And while Moses smashed the tablets, God was ready to do away with the people of Israel. But Moses, as a mediator, intercedes on behalf of Israel. In God's great mercy and favour, he spares the people. He could have wiped them out. And now God wants Moses to continue leading his people into the promised land. But before Moses recommits himself to the task of doing just that, he puts a few things on the table before God. And in this passage we see the, the intensity of the, the relationship growing with each request. What about us? I suppose it, it wouldn't be all that hard to seek God's glory on the mountaintop spending all that time with God, just being immersed in his presence for days after days and weeks and just being sustained by God's glory and power up on the mountaintop, away from the world, away from everything that could possibly corrupt us. Just being there. There are very few distractions away from the hustle and bustle of everyday life. But like Moses, eventually we have to come down, right? To get out and engage with the people and circumstances of every day. Start answering emails and 
get back into the traffic and having to put up with people and circumstances. And these things are the ones that test the core of our being. Some are more trivial, others are certainly more important. But this is what we call normal life, everyday life. And despite all this, I want to be living for God's glory over there. I don't want to be living for God's glory down here. And yet, this is where we're called to live, for God's glory, here. So let's draw some lessons from Moses' life of how he did that. In verse 12, seeking God's help, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favour with me. And this is the level I think that most of us are familiar with, uh, seeking God's help. We turn to God when we need help. That we cannot do, we cannot possibly do things on our own. It is a humble act and by, by this stage, the, I suppose those who are proud have already been disqualified because they, they couldn't even turn to God in the hour of need. They tend to anybody else, right? The, common, the, the, the most common way that we seek God's help is through prayer, petitionary prayer. This is where we ask God to intervene in some way in our everyday situation to, to heal us, to help us, to give us wisdom, to take care of our family, of our business, of our jobs and and we intercede for others in our church, in our workplace. So what did Moses need help with? On a personal level, he must have gone through this prevailing feeling of loneliness, I think. Those in positions of leadership understand quite well what this is like. His brother Aaron and even his sister Miriam, who were such comfort. They were older than him. They were comfort to him initially when this whole enterprise of going from Exodus, from, of the Exodus from Egypt to the Promised Land, when all of that started, they, they were with him. But now they, they have proven to be a liability. When Moses was up on the mountain... The people came to Aaron, Moses' brother, and he went ahead and answered the, the plight of the people. Rather than standing up for his brother Moses, he went and built them a golden calf. His own brother. This is why he says, you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moses is feeling lonely. I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this on my own. It's a matter of, Lord, you are with me. Yes, I have you, but here in, in the flesh, who can I trust? For even those who are the closest to me, I can't really fully trust. That's, that's, that's sad, right? You've been there. I've been there. 
Therefore, it is good to know that God promised to be with him all the way. He is the one that he can count upon. Yeah, yeah, look, even flesh may fail. Cursed is the man who trusts in man, ultimately. It is God who will not ever let us down. We can trust in him. Moses and God have already been through a lot with each other. And if Moses had good reason to be concerned about facing Pharaoh, remember when he was called to face Pharaoh after Exodus chapter 3, after the, the burning bush, he was scared. He has even more reasons now that that's over. We are at the next stage of the journey. He's even more concerned now. It was no longer about facing an angry and powerful ruler like Pharaoh. The immediate concern is the, the rebelliousness, the, the waywardness of the Israelites, the whinging, complaining that goes on and on and on. It wears you down. The words of the covenant given to the people of Israel, which which gave such hope through its blessings. The covenant also is filled with curses if the people of God are disobedient. It is there. Yes, God blesses through to his people if they are obedient, but if you are disobedient, this is what is going to happen to you. God hasn't changed. God told you the consequences. These are the consequences of your sins. Do that, God. Well, I told you. If they were tested here in the desert, and the desert was was a, a more of a neutral place, almost like a vacuum, really, when you think about it. It was really just a test against themselves. Yes, water, food, but God looked after them 24-7 for all of that time. Imagine if this was hard here in this this neutral, sanitised, relatively sanitised environment. Imagine what it would be like in the promised land when they would have to face the giants and the idols and the pagans. In some way, the whole desert experience was almost like a mountaintop experience because this is the closest they will ever be to God each and every day. He needed, Moses needed God's help because of what was coming. That's the first level. Then the second part is seeking God's instruction, verse 13. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favour with you. Remember that this nation is, is your people. Is Moses requesting a map so he can find his way through the desert in order to get to Canaan? No. Is he requesting some type of schedule so he can work out his food rations? No. 
these things were a concern and they were addressed in different ways throughout the, the, the book. They are sort of way down the order of, of importance of what, the, what is really the, is at stake here. Moses' words, I think, are echoed by David in, in Psalm 25, in verses 4 to 6. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Saviour. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Saviour. That's a great prayer. That's a great prayer, isn't it? One of the characteristics of children is that their minds are like sponges, isn't it? Aren't they? I mean, they, they soak it all in. And, and if you can go back the far and remember, we spend our first 12 to 18 years trying to learn the skills that will help us navigate through life, right? Um, this this willingness to discover and to, to learn and to, to try this and that and, 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 and to, to soak it in and to, to find out what works, what doesn't, I think is it's, it's to be commended as long as it is good and right and proper, right? as long as it's the right thing. If this is true in the physical and intellectual level, Physically, we, we, we try, we, we push our bodies in, in sport or in, when we go on hikes. No, just keep going. You have to get to the top. You know, you push your, your body to the limit in that, in that sense. And I think on an intellectual level, the same thing. I mean, some of you know and some of us remember quite well what it was like to prepare for the examination, for the HSC and other stuff, right? You push yourself. No, you have to learn this. You have to keep studying. You push yourself. If that is important on a physical and, and intellectual level, how much more important is it on the, on the spiritual, on the relational level with God? It, it, it is a natural part of growing as a Christian that you want to know more about God and His ways. Not the ways of man, but God's ways. So when Moses says, teach me your ways, he's seeking to know God I thought Moses knew God intimately already. No, he's actually hungry more. He's saying, I want to know you more intimately, to, to know you more and more. He desires to know God's character as reflected in, in the way that God does things. To know God's ways is to know God and to better understand how, how we should live in a way that pleases him. For us, the best way to seek instruction, God's instruction, is by reading, 
listening, reflecting, meditating, studying, and having his, way, his, his word explained to us as I'm doing right now. This is, and, and, and what we're doing right now is it's much more than just a, a head knowledge. Oh, oh, I know all about that passage. Yeah, 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 I've read it all before. It's much more than that. It's, it's about tuning your heart to the right station and having it locked into, into God's frequency. That's what it means. Yes, there are many other things you can listen to and, and devote yourself to, but this, this is the most important one. This is the, the life-giving one. Much more than head knowledge. Why? Because this is about a relationship. And when you're in a relationship, time doesn't matter, does it? You're just hanging out. Oh, ten minutes my devotion. Okay, that's enough. No, no. No, you missed the whole point. It, it, it's about walking, talking, living, every day, breathing God. But Paul, you're talking about, you know, you, you want to make me an ascetic, you know, a monk. No, that's the mountaintop experience. I'm talking about living your life in everyday life. Soaking, wanting, expecting more and more of God. That's what a relationship is like. Which leads to the next point. Seeking God's presence in verses 14 to 15. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not, send, do not send us up from here. At, at first, this, you need to under, understand also the context of what Moses is saying here. Moses began by asking God not to, not to lead the nation up from Sinai if his presence did not accompany them. That's what he's saying here. Why would he ever doubt that? Why did he have to say this? Because in verse 3, God said, Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. That's the promised land. But God said this. He says, I will not go with you. What? You led us all this way and what, you're just going to abandon us right here? Why did God say that? Because God was really upset with his people. He could have just, just erased them from the face of the earth. But God shows his grace and says, I'm not, not going to destroy you, but I can't go with you. It's just... But Moses says, but God says, I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. <laughs> That's actually God's grace. Look, just, just go ahead, go on, go on without me because, you know, I'm... Um, might not be pretty. What? Lordy. And, and Moses would have said, okay, 
Lord, if, if, if we're going to be that bad, okay, just stay away then, all right? We'll just go on our own, okay? No. That's not what Moses says. Moses argues for the necessity of God's grace and presence with Israel to continue, to remain, to sustain them. And and he reasons that the one thing which distinguishes God's people from all the other people on the face of the earth is actually his presence in their midst. And this is what he said. This is, one of the, again, one of those great verses in the Bible that it, it'll take a while to unpack. But let me just say it here it, in verse 16. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? And here is the crux. He says, what else will distinguish me, personally me, and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? That's a great question, isn't it? And I put this up on Facebook yesterday. What, you think about this, this, what Moses is saying. What, what is it that will mark the difference between me and everybody else that is out there, all the other people, then and today? There is, what, seven, seven and a half billion people on the face of the earth. What is it that makes you different from everybody else? What is it? You're a Christian. Well, a lot of people call themselves Christians. You go to church. A lot of people go to church. You believe in God? Oh, even more. A lot of people believe in God. What is it that makes you different than everybody else? In the Old Testament, God's presence was quite an experience, the intensity of it. Moses had already experienced this in many ways. As we know, it started with a burning bush, Exodus 3, and it continues from there and it grows from there. God says to Moses, yes, I will go with you, I will lead you and I will drive out your enemies before you. And God's presence is shown in the fact that God is a God who dwells, he lives with his people. The, temp, the, the, the symbol of that was the, it started off with the tent of meeting and then got uh, upgraded to the tabernacle that goes with them. And in the book of Exodus ends with this beautiful description of, of the cloud covering the tent of meeting and the glory of God filling this place where God and Moses met and everybody else in the, around just, just stood there in awe and wonder because when the cloud descended, I said, God and Moses are there. And when the cloud lifted, they moved and the cloud of pillar followed them. It was fire at night. It was a cloud covering them during the day. The presence of God. Intense, real. When was the last time that the presence of God quickened your pulse? 
you felt it, you knew it, you deep inside and saying, wow, thank you Lord for letting me experience this. Are you hungering for his presence? To want, because you see, to want God around is, is quite a concept to, to, to get your thoughts, to get your head about. Uh, most of us want God around, but only on special occasions or on a strict as per needs basis. Yes, Lord, I will go to meet with you at 9.30 on a Sunday morning. Okay, that's my time with you. The rest of the time, you can just leave me alone. I will do my own thing. Thank you. Is that your concept of being a Christian? Just the rest of the time, I want you to to just give me space and let me do my own thing, okay? It's a bit like, you remember the time? when you were driving your teenager to a, to a party, the relationship and the love is there. Yes, you're driving your son, your daughter to a party. But somewhere, somehow, there is that awkward moment when you're about to drop them off. Here is this old man driving and here are these kids, you know, their age, dropping them off. And if the father doesn't realise that his job is done, he will gently be reminded by their offspring, okay, Dad, you can go now. <laughs> never, never under any circumstances are you allowed to leave the vehicle. wonder how many times the thought has crossed our minds in a spiritual sense to tell our Heavenly Father, okay, Father, you can leave now. I don't want these people to know that you're my Father. I'm actually embarrassed at the moment to be called a Christian. Let me put it another way. It is only one who is completely aware and cherishes and values and breathes this ongoing communion, who can know what it is like to be abandoned. If you don't understand the presence, perhaps you will understand it with the concept, the idea of abandonment. And it was real. On the cross, it was real. That is the the true meaning of the words, Eloi, Eloi, Sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You can only experience abandonment if you have a relationship in the first place. Because if you haven't had a relationship in the first place, you will never know what abandonment is because you've never had it in the first place. I know many today could not care less for God's presence for they never had a relationship with God in the first place. I don't want to answer. God knocks. They they couldn't care less. They don't want to answer. Eh, later. And, And maybe you're here this morning sort of wondering, what does that mean? Well, it means you need to start having a relationship with God if you haven't had one yet. 
And if you had a relationship and it's hot and cold and, you know, on a as per needs basis, then you need to start getting serious. Just this week, I was at a funeral, had to do part of the funeral, you know, bearing a brother in Christ who had been walking with the Lord all their days. And it was great, it was rejoicing, but the thought always comes to your mind and says, how many of the of his family and grandchildren, of all of those people who are here at the cemetery, how many of those are in that relationship with the Lord? It's confronting. It's a coffin. There's, there's a hole. It's, is, is this the end? And for the believer, we say, no, it's not. It's not. It's not. This is what remains. The rest of our life continues into eternity. Where are you with God? Do you seek his presence? Do you want it more and more? More than last year and the year before. Being away from the Father should stir in us a hunger and thirst that can only be filled with his presence as the deer pants for the water. That's the type of... That's what marks us from the rest of the world. And this leads to the final point, seeking God's glory in verses 18 to 23. So the intensity of this conversation with God finally will climax with, with, with Moses when, when Moses' hunger for more of God will, will only be satisfied by, by contemplating his glory. He wants to see God. He doesn't know if it's physically or theologically possible, but hey, let's give it a go. Let's give it a try. Let's might as well ask, right? God seems to be answering all your other requests and, he, and he's just told you that he's pleased with you. Why not try for more? So Moses puts in a request that is as bold and brazen as it is tender and wonderful. And And... It is certainly an insight into the life of this man when he says, now show me your glory. Now, I want us to understand how huge a request this is. Moses wasn't asking for God to give him a, you know, a selfie, of, of, you know, a photo of himself. Moses wasn't asking God to just... You know, sign a piece of paper, an autograph. He was asking God to show him his glory. Charles Spurgeon calls this the greatest request a man ever made of God. That's what Spurgeon says. That's, it is. I think he's right. How could Moses have asked for for anything larger, anything bigger. To see God's glory is to see God himself. Moses was saying, let me see you as you really are. And I know we talk and pray and sing about God's glory and that's that's great. And and it's very common for athletes when they get the, the prize, especially those who are, Believers or 
wannabe believers to, to say and even actors, you know, to say God, glory to God. But do they know what it really means? Do we know what it means when we say it? The Hebrew word for glory is the word kabod, which means weight. It's, it's, it's something that radiates from the one who has it. And it, it's something so heavy that it leaves an impression behind. And it's a really hard word to, to, to translate into the, from the Hebrew into the Greek. So into the Greek, the, the word is doxa, which means beauty. But the word beauty doesn't really capture the, he- the meaning of the original Hebrew word. That's why the Apostle Paul talks about the weight of glory in, in 2 Corinthians. God's glory is the beauty of his many perfect qualities. It refers to the bright and awesome radiance that comes from him. It can refer to the infinite moral and excellent excellence in his character and but whatever way you look at it it is beyond anything we can possibly describe the 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 scriptures give us a glimpse of it we put a telescope into the heavens in the universe and they're discovering more and more more and more and more and more and wherever they pointed there's more and more to discover that is an that is what is it is is, it is an example of a picture, a small, minuscule way to appreciate God's glory in His creation. Moses obviously couldn't peer into the, into the universe like that. He wanted to peer into, into God, the Creator. It's much more than just pointing a Hubble telescope. It's I just want to be consumed by God. This is why Spurgeon says it's the greatest request that a man has ever made. And God doesn't take his glory lightly. And he's not going to share it with anybody else. And if God were any less glorious, he wouldn't be God, would he? So the Lord answers his request, but not fully. And the Lord said in verses 19 and 20, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see it, may see me and live. So God assures Moses, yes, you will see my glory, but not all of it. There is no way possible for humans to do that and live and tell about it. For if Moses got to see all of God, God would no longer be a mystery, would he? So God hides him in a rock, in a crevice, in a cleft, in a, in a And the Lord passes by so Moses could only see his back and God's hand covers covers him and as God passes by, God only sees as God goes by where God has been. 
there is something tender, there is something personal, isn't there, in, in this whole image. It's hard to describe, really. And however much of, or, or little Moses saw and experienced, it, it was enough to blow him away. And, and many years later, this, this image is, is, we capture it in the New Testament. And maybe you, you didn't make the connection between John chapter 1 and what happens in Exodus chapter 33. But here it is, chapter 1 verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Tabernacled among us. And, and, and we have seen His glory the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's an image right out of Exodus. Jesus came to live among us. We beheld his glory. Moses beheld his glory, but this is, this is, this is more. This, we, we got a lot closer even than what Moses did. Moses would have been consumed if he saw the glory of God. He would not be able to tell about it. The disciples saw the glory of God. They listened to, to the words of God, the flesh, God in the flesh, in Jesus Christ. They could come, they could touch him. They saw his miracles. They saw the power of God displayed. They were even able to put him on a cross. That's how close God became. And we were not consumed. Even though it's the same God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Our God is a God who came to dwell with his people. He revealed God's glory to us. And the beauty is that Emmanuel, God with us, is still with us. He is among us. And he has come from the mountaintop. He has come into our fallen world, into our fallen flesh. He lived it. He suffered it. But he never succumbed to the sin that consumes us. The context in which Jesus came is still a fallen world that chooses to worship the golden calf rather than the living God. So, as true worshippers, who will we worship? Do we still go after the golden calf or do we worship the baby in a, in a manger? It's important for us to see that God is not going to show his glory to people who do not hunger for him. He will show his glory to people who are in tune with him. He will not show his glory to people who are not being obedient to him or who seek his presence. He will not show his glory to those who, who say to him, okay, God, you can go now. This is my time. 
I have spent time with you. Don't settle for the mediocre. God offers so much more. I wonder how many of us, and this is my final point, I wonder how many of us will be as daring as Moses to say, Lord, show me your glory. And, And even though we will never fully see his glory, not this side of heaven, I don't care. Show me whatever you want to show me, God, because I want to see more and more of your glory. Let that hunger grow. Let me be satisfied only in you because everything else around me is just fluff, trifles. It's meaningless when compared when it is you who I can have. That's why Jesus wants you and me to to see and, and appreciate his glory. And this is what he said, this is what he prayed in John chapter 17, which is the priestly prayer before he died. John 17, verse 24. Father, he says, I want those you have given me to be where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. He wants us. He wants us to see his glory. The glory he's not going to share with anybody else. But he wants us to appreciate, to be immersed in the glory of who he is. May God enable us to to walk in his presence, right? to move in our faith, to grow in our faith, to grow in our hunger and thirst for God more and more in this year and in the coming years. And maybe even this year could be the day that he calls us home. Who knows? Whatever it is, in life or in death, let us give the glory to God. Amen.